sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Hey, I'm I'm your friend Nate Larkin here with uh, Aaron Porter. It's uh, time for another conversation. We have a great guest coming up. Uh, in the meantime, uh, what's new and exciting in your life? What's rolling there, Aaron? Well, I've watched lots of movies about vampire hunters, and it brought me to the thought, what about church hunting? <laughs> Nate, do you have any thoughts about church hunting? Is there a connection between vampire hunting and church hunting? I don't know. Day? I was giving you a segue. You know, that was okay. the best I could come up with. Yeah, All right. I got, yeah. no, I got nothing. Kind of an odd one. Okay. <laughs> yes, I have been. I I have been church hunting, although no, I have not been out church shopping. And really, I've only been thinking. Ah. By the way, I'm so grateful. <laughs> I don't even know str- what these words mean. You're throwing yeah. out like a lot of words right now. You're grateful. Uh, Go ahead with your gratitude. I am grateful. I I'll, I do know this. The opposite of addiction is connection. Mm-hmm. I am part of uh, an international, intergenerational, who knows, maybe even in a inter, inter, interplanetary organism called the body of Christ. Oh, my word. Uh, this is turning okay. into a Joe Rogan podcast. What's happening right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, but Allie and I are now, we've been six months in this little town that we've moved to. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my direct social connections have been severed by the move. I'm an hour away from those friends, still maintaining phone contact with my core guys, but casting about very, very grateful that we now have another Samson group rolling here in Columbia. It's finding its feet. We got great news this week, by the way, McCreary's, the fabled McCreary. The, the fabled McCreary's. Yeah, but, you know, the site of the meeting after the meeting for the original Frank. They're opening a second store, and they're opening it right around the corner from Daniel's Barbershop on the Square in Columbia, where we have our meeting. So, So Nate, how does it it feel that you moved to Mount Pleasant near Columbia, and McCreary's was like, well, hot damn. We better open a whole new pub near Nate. Yeah, I, I know I'm the sole reason that they made the, made the choice. Yeah, <laughs> that, that. <laughs> And I'm very excited because uh, we've been doing the meeting after the meeting at Applebee's, and that just doesn't feel quite right. It's not no. exactly the same. Yeah, you got to hold someone's hand or rub their thigh, and that's weird at a meeting after the meeting. All right, but get to the church hunting. I gave you a great segue, vampires and stuff like that. So, Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's tough when you make a move and you're trying to... Allie and I would really like to go to church in this community where we live. So we have been set... We've been going to the little to the Methodist church uh, down the street, a grand building, a church that has, you know, has seen better days. Uh, We're actually the young people in the church. Uh, You know, it's got stained glass windows, which are nice and beautifully decorated for Christmas, Uh, a a magnificent organ, Um, a choir. It's it's not the biggest or the best choir. Most of them can carry a tune, but uh, 
I'm just not feeling connected, Aaron. I'm having a hard time connecting. And I'm not sure it would be any easier if I went next door to the Baptist church or across the street and down the block to the Presbyterian church. And I'm, I hate to be a church hopper, but anyway, that's where I am. I'm having okay, a we're, we're gonna, bit of a tough time. We're going to talk in the near future about church vocabulary that messes with our brains and our hearts. Yeah. And there is a whole bunch of church vocabulary, church hopping, mm-hmm. church shopping. You said mm-hmm. you're doing church hunting, but not church shopping. So clearly yeah. there was like vocabulary already in your head of like, <laughs> no, I'm not one of those. I'm, 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 over. I'm doing this. <laughs> and man, that's so much stress. And honestly, in four years of being here, I have not been able to find, and I I go back to you visiting our little church in the triple Y mobile home. You saying, mm-hmm. oh, I wish there was a church like this around us, to which I said, yeah. come on, dude, you have so many churches in Tennessee. There has to be. And you said no. And then I've been here four years and have not found that. And last Sunday, I went to my last church. I'm like, this is it. It's been four uh-huh. years. Yeah, I go into a place with a guy that I had known. I didn't know that I was going to this church, but it was in Franklin. I knew him from Southern California, and the no. guy he worked for was huge in mentoring me about how church could look. So the churches I plant had planted had pieces of that. I walk in this room and I'm like, wait this seems really familiar. Mm -hmm. And the whole morning felt like home. Oh, wow. And I also- I'm jealous. uh, No, I felt terrified by that because I I had said in my head, this is my last week. I can do Samson Uh meetings. I'll meet with guys. That's fine. I'm Mm -hmm. over this hunt. I'm done Uh with the hunt. And then I go to a place that feels like a home. And I'm like, damn it. This was like, my last thing to say now i don't have to and honestly at this point (laughs) like there was a piece of my heart that was afraid of what does this mean how Uh do i even connect at this point with something Mm -hmm. that feels like home where do i fit in i've i've been a pastor since i was 20 and and so if i just start coming here where do i fit in with this yeah 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 and it, it creates a lot of complications. Community creates complications. I guess that's what I felt. And uh, sorry, my Hallmark Christmas movie just started playing on my other computer. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of those. Uh, I I think that's the bottom wait, line. Wait, 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 wait. I'm going to pull an errand here. Back that up. Uh, you just said something. You've been watching Hallmark movies? Aaron Porter, that does not fit with my image of you oh well i have to do engineering reports which are super boring but i can't stand to do that for like 10 to 12 hours a day if i don't have something in the background but it can't be like a documentary or something i listen to so hallmark christian uh, christmas (laughs) movies or christian movies for that matter uh i I can just go i already know this plot i've seen it in every (laughs) other hallmark (laughs) christmas movie so that was just, okay. I got you. Yeah. It's, All right. Don't worry. You're, you don't. You're excused. Ha- yeah. You don't have to think I'm not me. 
Uh, okay. But anyways, the, the fear part in the shopping, because I've, I keep coming back to the, to the hunt. Let's go hunting. Mm-hmm. Shopping's not okay. But the hunt was, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, what if I do find that place? What will that mean for me? What's going to mm-hmm. be expected? And honestly, after four years, I'm kind of like, man, this is, that's a scary thought. Yeah, I hear you. Mm. I can't wait to see where how this turns out, where it goes. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> sort yeah. of. Maybe I'll go back to the Eastern Orthodox Church, but we'll get to that in the third segment of the show. Okay. All right. Meanwhile, we have a fascinating convers- uh, guest coming up, a-, a conversation, a challenging, illuminating, inspiring, informative conversation coming up when we return on the Pirate Monk Podcast. And welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Aaron, we are privileged to have with us today on the show uh, a clinical psychologist from well, your home state out there in California, uh, Quincy Gideon, a, a doctor, Quincy Gideon, is joining us from Santa Monica. Welcome, Quincy. Thank you for having me. Okay. I just, I want to ask right up front, I've never met a girl, Quincy. I mean, I've <laughs> met Quincy Jones. Well, okay, I haven't actually met Quincy Jones, but I've met Quincy's who are guys. There has yes. to be a story, and you're spelled a little different. I'm just curious. Give me the it Quincy I story. Think, I think my parents had a moment of creativity in naming me, and, and I deeply appreciate it. It's helped me in about every job interview I've ever had because <laughs> they remember you and they remember the spelling, and everyone's a little bit nervous. Is it a girl? Is it a boy? Like, what's going on? Um, so I feel like that's helped me. I, you know, in in summer camp over the every summer of my life, I was inevitably put in the boys' dorm every single summer. <laughs> and I drag my suitcase all the way up and I uh it's a boy floor. And so you, I can't stay here with oh my, my you know, roommate. So I'd have to drag my bag back down all those stairs and go back to the admin building and be like, you guys. <laughs> yeah, and and, and <laughs> as a director it. of children's summer camps, I'm just thinking Darn it, where do we put her? We don't have any other spots and bunks. Yes, this was a Tetris puzzle and she no longer fits. Yes, yeah, that was a lived experience most often. So uh, was this a church camp? Oh, yes, I I grew up going to a very evangelical uh, church camp, yeah. Did you get saved every summer? I got saved every summer. Um, I I tried to, certainly. I think that's the evangelical experience is nervous at some point that you've lost (laughs) a very pesky, you know, salvation. Yeah. Even, even if you don't get saved every summer at a summer camp, you can at least rededicate your life. Yes. And that's close enough. Dedicated. Yes. Yes. That was also a Rededication. Yes, absolutely. All right. So tell us, tell us this story of like, You've you've come to this place where you're dealing with trauma in people, and we talked a little bit before about how it was uh, you deal with religious trauma with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So there must have been a story that brought you to that place. So give us this story, not Guy Quincy. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I grew up in a very fundamentalist um, evangelical church. Um, mm-hmm. there, it was a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, but I think in the community that we were a part of, it was quite insular. It was very demanding, very rigid, lots of understanding of gender, what girls were allowed to do, what boys were allowed to do, um, how dangerous sexuality was. That was like a huge I've never seen people um, more obsessed with genitals than the evangelical church and and managing sort of the purity culture that was going on. So that was kind of a part of my growing up. I think I was an anxious kid. I moved around a lot. So part of moving around was getting involved in churches and different youth groups. And that's how, you know, socially I made a lot of connections. But I think my anxiety growing up probably gave me the impression that there was a rule book. And if I could just follow all of the rules, (laughs) life Mm -hmm, would be good. mm -hmm. God wouldn't be mad at me. Certainly God wouldn't punish me. And so I really leaned into a lot of the rigidity, the rules, the expectations. I was very nervous about uh, doing something as a kid that might have adult consequences. So And, you know, if I'm doing something now, the friendships that I have, um, is that going to change the relationships I have in the future? Because that is touted a lot in the church that I grew Mm -hmm. up in Mm -hmm. of like, you know, if you date someone that God doesn't want you to date, it might impact your future marriage. I mean, there was a lot of pressure on a 10-year-old, you know, to make really adult decisions in order to prevent future suffering. And so I felt very much like if I could just follow the rules, if I could just lean into this rigidity, if I could just get on board with how bad of a person I am so that I'm constantly trying to become a good person, perhaps that will um, stop any of my sinful nature from right, coming so, out. So two questions right now. I'm not going to mm-hmm. ask how old you are. That's rude. So when did you graduate <laughs> from high school? <laughs> <laughs> I am 36 years old. I graduated in 2005. Okay. So. God, I feel old. Well, <laughs> I'm just, I just filtered, I filtered ungracious comments. You know, Quincy and I were super young. I know, I know, I know. Okay, I'm not not even close to as young as you, Quincy. Uh, All right, second question is, uh, I get this, uh, I get the construct that you were in. Mm -hmm. How much of that was coming from your parents versus coming from when you would go to Sunday school and youth group? at church? Like, what would you give the ratio of the weight of those feelings? I think it changed over time. I think when I was younger, it was way more the church, certainly. And Mm -hmm. then as I got older, my dad was a football coach in Texas. And so um, that was essentially a military family of moving around a thousand times before I graduated. And every time we moved around, I think my mom in her loneliness probably felt Um, pretty desperate to get her kids into some sort of social setting that was supportive. She was constantly afraid that we were going to, quote, fall in with the bad crowd, right? And every Mm -hmm. school was sort of the opportunity for that, especially when we hit our teenage years. So as time progressed, um, I think we got more involved with the church. My parents got more involved. I think that they were um, sold sort of the understanding that – 
kids could go off the deep end and the world is a very dangerous place. And if they weren't also a part of the faith and really sort of living in that space, then, you know, their wow. kids. So, so are you saying your parents were upping their spiritual quotient to make sure? Okay. Now I've also seen, I've seen Friday night lights. So <laughs> yes. I understand what you're talking about. Yeah, that was my childhood for, for was, certain. Uh, oh, really? And, and yeah. I'm only slightly joking in asking your dad being a part of the jocks in Texas football, do you think that caused him more concern where he's like, oh, my daughter's getting this age. I know these kids because, you know, there was that guy with the long hair. He's a real sexy yeah. looking guy. Reagan. And he's and he's like <laughs> hitting on the older women like it's messed up. Right. It's messed up in right. Texas. Yes. But honestly, do you think that him being a part of that? caused more like, okay, I'm going to keep my daughter away from that. You know, football is an entire culture in Texas, specifically mm -hmm. high school football. Entire towns shut down on Fridays in order to sure. go to the Friday night game. And my dad had a lot of pressure in each you know, school oh, that we yeah. were at to win, or we'd have for sale signs in our yards the next morning when we woke up. So there was a lot of pressure, but he was also respected in the community. And so I think what one of the things that that did was put a lot of pressure on him to have kind of the perfect kids. Um, we had to go yeah. above and beyond. We had to be better athletes than anyone in that school, or we weren't going to make the team because he wasn't going to have anyone say that we got special treatment. So there was kind of this, it wasn't just oh, being a decent human. It was performance yeah. aspect was in every area of everything. your life. Everything. And that is and not a whole lot, that's not a lot different from a, being a pastor's kid, I speak from experience. Oh, yeah. I think I think it's very similar, very similar yeah. in that. Like everything is sort of being judged. And, and I would say that Texas in general, whether people espouse some sort of religion, they're probably... Um, swimming in the swamp of religion, right? Like they, uh -huh. they go every Sunday or all of their neighbors are somehow religious. Um, you know, their political views are based on either a religion that they grew up in or that are, they're currently practicing. So they, this was, this was sort of a, a culture that accepted that there was a lot of pressure on my brother and I to be exceptional on all levels. My dad was also gone a ton because it's a mm -hmm. high pressure job. I mean, six months out of the year, I would see him on the field on Friday nights. I would run up and hug him after the games, but that was about the only contact I had with him uh, during wow. football season. So in that way, the church kind of became a surrogate parent for, sure, you sure. know, just sort of partner with my mom in that way. And I think it gave my dad um, some peace knowing that and, there was structure and there was, there yeah, was some sort of good influence. It, it was peace, but it was still the same performance-based construct if you live up to this everything will be okay so how would you say at that time say 10 to 17 years old your relationship with god if any because that's not a relationship with god that's a relationship with community and morality according to a community Ooh, that was look that, that was very much like an evangelical sermon there were little lies at the end of all of that it was uh, so, yeah, I, I apologize. Uh, no. Anyways, your relationship with actually with God, not with the church, what was that like during that time, if, if there was any? There was no differentiating it to me and my immature uh, 
non-deconstructed space, (laughs) I felt Mm -hmm. like my commitment to being good um, or living by the rules or kind of following with the expectations that I was being held to, that that was godliness, that that was a relationship with God. I would say that my church was very very pressure-oriented on things like quiet time. So I remember feeling like if I cut that short on any day of like reading the Bible, I remember thinking there might be some suffering later because of that. Um, I remember suffering, thinking- i.e. punishment. Punishment, yeah. So it's it's going to be karmic punishment if totally. it doesn't, it's going to balance the scales. Screw up on this, it's going to balance on the negative. Totally. Well, you know, part of the the main tenet of the faith is that you are a sinner and you can easily go back to that. And it is only by the grace of God that's given to you every single day that you are not a complete mess of a human. So there was always this threat that if I wasn't reading enough of the Bible or I wasn't around godly people or I wasn't spending enough time in church, I wasn't serving the community in some way that me that myself, my innermost being would rise to the surface and it would be quite demonic. It would totally be sinful and evil and I'd never get back my goodness. So, mm. okay. So with that, right, right there, just want to see if I'm hearing you right. Your most natural tendency is going to be demonic and horrible at yes. the most epic levels. Mm-hmm. And the only thing you can do to keep that in check is a quiet time with Jesus every morning, or else you're going to sprout horns and have sex with everybody. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of things abstaining from anything that was pleasurable. So like any sort of sex, purity culture was a huge part of my growing up experience. Um, having too much fun. I remember thinking like mm-hmm. uh, I was hanging out with my friends and sort of enjoying it and kind of looking around and being like, is this something that God would approve of? And instead of just being there and being present and enjoying it. So there was a, yeah, a lot of so, rules, lots of restrictions. So where did that end up? Let's go past the high school mm-hmm. years. You must've hit a wall where you're like, okay, I'm questioning that yeah. this is the God that they told me about? It didn't happen until much later in my 20s. So uh, what happened after that is I went to college and I started um, doing these international mission trips that were still very religious, religiously oriented, mm-hmm. um, traveled back and forth, uh, really interested in helping these communities. It was um, you know, there was some white savior complex going on in there that I'm now embarrassed about, but certainly a huge part of my life back then. I started traveling back and forth so frequently that I ended up starting my own nonprofit, um, which was also a religious nonprofit, where we worked with former child soldiers in Central and Eastern Africa. So I kind of started working with the big NGOs and then eventually kind of split off and did my own thing. Um, but that it was, you know, sort of full of trauma, both secondary trauma about the stories that I was hearing, um, the hug and pray it away, uh, mentality was obviously not working for horribly traumatized communities. So I started, I got my master's after college. I really sort of committed myself. And I think that that was probably the part of me that knew that faith was not going to be the only answer to the immense amount of human suffering that I was coming in contact with. 
um, every year. So, or, or at least um, especially the faith that you had grown up with. That's right. That's right. So I really kind of stepped into this missionary role, but there was clearly a part of me that wasn't quite ready for that because I ended up seeking out my doctorate, my clinical psychology doctorate at a seminary. And part of the sort of shtick of this seminary is that they practice a lot of integration. How do we make psychology and theology or spirituality kind of talk together and work together for more holistic health? And so part of the requirement in my doctorate was to also get a master's in theology. As I'm studying in my first uh, you know, New Testament class with the guy that wrote most of the New Testament books, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. which was a real privilege. As Wait, I'm sitting Paul? there, huh? You were there with Paul, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the Apostle Paul. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, his name was. It did start. It was Paul, but Green. Like, <laughs> okay. um, Inconveniently, as, we were, <laughs> as I was sort of sitting there, I was also having a very personal experience um, in my in my personal life. So I had followed the rules. I had um, abstained from any sort of physical contact um, with my partner at the time. We got engaged, we got married, and things went to hell in a handbasket. And pretty Mm. quickly after we got married, and I could not figure out what was going on. I was totally not emotionally mature enough to have these conversations. I was very wounded from all of the trauma that I had witnessed over the past, you know, decade. Um, up to that point, I had this rigidity that was supposed to keep me safe, but obviously can't and won't keep you safe. And then I'm in the middle of a marriage where some really problematic things were going on. And I had no idea who I could talk to about it because when any other suffering had come up before that, and I had tried to talk to people, there was a lot of, um, you know, spiritual thought stopping going on. So uh, those thought terminating cliches that come up, well, you know, God will never give you anything more than you can handle. And I'm essentially telling that person that I'm falling apart and something isn't right. Mm -hmm. And I need help Mm -hmm. um, in this way. And when that was given to me, that feedback, it just sort of stopped any sort of vulnerable conversation, right? Where do you go from there? Because either I'm admitting that I am, you know, being a wimp or a chicken or I am not in a good enough relationship with God where God's helping me uh, mm-hmm. to get through that. So it there was just a lot of feedback that had happened okay. previously. Okay. So, oh my gosh, there's so many things you have said in a few short sentences. Yes. But <laughs> let me start with this, that the vocabulary of the church to me seems like one of the most problematic. Yeah. And I think you just described it. So if a, if a pastor gets up in the morning and says, God put on my heart this morning or for this sermon, this, okay, you just said these words. These are, these are words mm-hmm. God put on my heart, which then makes everybody a except, oh, God's talking to that guy. And what he's about to say is from God to me. Right. right. And but, is therefore unquestionable. And, and mm-hmm. B, which is far more problematic is, wait, what does that mean? Does God ever talk to me like that? And the reality is that guy just said like, okay, we're going through the book of James and we're on chapter two and I've studied it. And this is what I'm feeling like I should say. That's what he means by God put on my heart. 
But everybody else thinks, oh, I don't even know. Does God put things on my heart and I don't know? And then it's just so vague. The vocabulary is so cliched and vague that it then causes people to pause and say, I don't think I'm safe to mm-hmm. say these words because I'm not sure if I'm crossing some unwritten line. And what is the line? I'm now a person who doesn't have faith, who doesn't understand God, who has rejected God because I'm saying these words. But it's all built on vague vocabulary that nobody defines and is built on cliches. Is that what you're saying you experienced? Yes, I'm saying that I experienced that. I also, in cultic studies, we talk about um, one of the thought reform um, things that happens in these really insular groups is loading the language. Um, This is a concept that Robert Lifton came up with a long time ago, but essentially that you would create a language inside the group that would Mm -hmm. essentially indicate insiders versus outsiders. And in that language, there's an entire uh, cascade of emotional experiences that happen after that because of previous experiences. So if that pastor had said, or if that person has ever had the experience of someone saying, God put this on my heart and we need to break up, there's this whole sort of human experience that now is going to come up after that loaded language. And it's a loaded language that if anyone outside of the group were to come around and hear some of that, they'd be like, what God? And what do you mean? They didn't say that to me. So no big deal. But there's a whole experience around the loading of the language that creates uh, a, more of a leaning in, right? I can't question. Um, my my feelings are the problem. Uh, this language is telling me what I need to feel next. So I'm, I'm, I'm a simple man. I am not a doctor of psychology like you. Oh, wise Quincy. So help me. I am hearing times that I might be told things that are causing me emotions. Uh, Like you're talking about breakup. Oh my gosh. That's the most cliched like Christian thing, right? God doesn't want me to. I didn't know for that. (laughs) I prayed about it and God told me we need to break up. Yes. Yes. So in in that kind of situation, I'm having uh, big emotions because this is a breakup, but I have been completely cut off from talking about my emotions or from asking why. There's no why because it's just God. God's the why. Like, poor God. I feel, can I just pause to pity God right now? (laughs) He gets blamed for so much shit. Anyway. I I know from ridiculous people, right? So now I'm having a, you know, I I don't have to even call it a traumatic moment. It it can be. It's a deeply painful emotional moment. It's a painful moment. It's an emotional Mm -hmm. moment. And I am not allowed to question it because we're using vocabulary that cuts off any actual communication. Correct. Oh my gosh. Loading the language. Yeah. Load. That's what loading the language means. Mm-hmm. I cut you off because I've loaded the language. So you will feel ashamed if you bring yourself forward. Yeah. You can think of it as like a word is loaded with so much extra meaning that now you only need to say a few words like God told me or God put this on my heart. 
um, in order to evoke an entire experience that isn't actually embedded in those words, but because we have a long experience in that group, because we've been taught those things, it's loaded that language um, to where we gotcha. now have a have a follow up from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me let me go back a little bit to you experiencing these things in Africa mm-hmm. that are. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking of your age. I'm thinking of your generation, really, and mm-hmm. unfairly possibly. But people I know from your generation want to find a place where they're using their skills in a way that matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and many of them get frustrated because they find out it doesn't. They just end up in a job where they have to do what everybody else does. Right. But you went out. And you found a place that mattered. However, I've also believed with all my heart that police officers and social workers after 10 years, maybe eight years, should have to take five years off Mm -hmm. because I've met very few cops and social workers that don't get so traumatized and jaded that it doesn't change how they do their duty. Yeah. And so you go over trying to do a good thing, but you experience something that most people in this world don't have to experience. You're talking about child soldiers. I mean, that's what, come on, I can see that in blood diamonds, but don't show me that in real life. Right. Yeah. It was harrowing. It was awful. It was um, more than my nervous system could take at the time. It was a lot. Mm-hmm. And but at the same time, you didn't have at that point a religious system that allowed you to sit with and process the emotions that were arising from your experience. Totally, right? no the emotions right. are the the enemy. Emotions will take you down. Emotions will um, distract you, or mm-hmm. they are some indication that you don't have enough faith. Oh, mm-hmm. can we can mm-hmm. we pause on this? Because I grew yeah. up in a church that said emotions, like we we were a heady church. We were, of course, smarter than everybody else. <laughs> Ironically, there were not a lot of degrees in the church. But uh, anyways, I was told emotions are dangerous. You can go into a movie theater and watch a horror movie and be afraid that someone's going to kill you because you watched a murderer. And obviously, intellectually, that's not true. So that proves that emotions are worthless and should be seen as suspect and dangerous. Yeah. Talk to us about emotions, Dr. Quincy. Well, I my whole shtick around religious trauma, the way that I got into this work was the f- sort of across-the-board denial of human experience. And Mm -hmm. when I was doing my own healing and I was in my own therapy, my therapist, frankly, had to stranglehold me (laughs) Mm -hmm. and allow me to feel feelings. And then, of course, there was decades of feelings that Mm -hmm. were there that had been unacknowledged, that were eating at me, that in some ways I think were causing like physical symptoms. I was just sort of tense and hurting and um, I wanted to cry all the time, but I couldn't figure out why. Um, and so I really, in reflecting back, I'm hearing all of the messages that, you know, I grew up with and that others have shared with me about their own religious experience, how scripture is used against you, be anxious for nothing, right? Because uh, that indicates 
that you don't have enough faith, um, how um, your essential self is sinful. And so your feelings are a part of your essential self. So feelings are something that will distract you. They'll get you off track. They will um, keep you from fulfilling the mission of God. And so your job is to just try to manage those and get rid of those feelings as quickly as possible. So there was lots of ways in which I was getting that message for sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how have you, or have you, where are you at in the journey of reconciling a Jesus who was filled with emotions constantly? There's emotional language through all the gospels. Totally. Jesus was not free of emotions, nor did he shy away from them. Right. Uh, be anxious for nothing, but he sweat blood like, sweat blood yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah because of anxiety in the garden right um so that's not a complete statement so where are you at in the process of saying uh, of discovering your own relationship with god after you've decided no wait this was very incomplete and not only incomplete but very unhelpful At the time that I started to do some of this work, I think that I was experiencing what most people experience in this space, which is just straight up cognitive dissonance, (laughs) where you Mm -hmm. have seemingly opposing feelings or ideas or beliefs or thoughts, and those happen at the same time inside of you. And because that is so psychologically uncomfortable for us, we typically deny an entire part and just really grab right. onto the other. Re- reject so, one, grab the other. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I think that that was kind of the space that I was in, um, in that space of like just really kind of rejecting what didn't quite make sense. Um, about my human experience and really grabbing onto, I've been told these things. Uh, surely these people would not lie to me. Um, if I were to doubt, there's big consequences to that. So um, there was a lot of fear in pushing back against it. I think can, wait, now- can I pause to ask what, yeah, what were you afraid please. the consequences would be? Were they from uh, the church? Were hell? they from family? Um, a, oh, okay. Yeah, a relational- Straight, straight to hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn, that's rough. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hell was always like the looming threat, right? That you could mm-hmm. lose somehow lose favor or that your behaviors were somehow an indication that you weren't really saved, um, even mm-hmm. though you had maybe prayed the prayer and you thought that you had walked the Roman road. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that there was, again, that dissonant space. <laughs> These things do not make logical sense. They don't. But I think a lot of people in these communities, and I was certainly one of them, were just having to deny a huge part of our experience in order to feel like we're not unraveling and falling apart because it's just Mm -hmm. too much. And when we help people get out of culty environments or um, religiously um, traumatizing environments, we have this concept of a shelf. We like to think about a shelf. Um, in someone's mind. And we just want to add things to the shelf that would eventually break the shelf. And in the breaking of that shelf, you can't uphold the dissonance anymore. You're just sort of left with like, I don't know, I can't make sense of anything, but my body cannot continue like this. My mind yeah. cannot continue like this. And it's it's an invitation, right? To be able to explore something because you just can't tolerate not exploring it anymore. So at, mm. at 36, we still haven't answered the question. 36, not like 92, like Nate. 
where he's he's got it settled. <laughs> Saint Nate. Yeah. Saint Nate. Yeah. Where where are you at at 36 where you now have all of this experience and you mm-hmm. also have this education? Mm-hmm. You've also walked through this with other people which mm-hmm. tends to help us crystallize our own experience. Totally. So where have you come to at 36? I'm dying to know. <laughs> and I actually don't disclose. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Uh, that's As okay. a therapist. Right. Good. By the way, you have full permission to not disclose. <laughs> I appreciate okay. that. I felt that safety. Um, I sit with a lot of people that are in a large spectrum of experience. And they come mm. to me not knowing if I'm going to be a safe person to be flexible enough with them if they want to totally deny this entire experience and walk away from faith entirely, or if I'm a safe enough person because I retain some sort of faith Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to talk them into atheism, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. really, whomever comes into therapy for religious trauma is deeply worried that they are going down a very bad path and they need someone that feels safe enough. And so... As I have kind of come to my own beliefs, as I've really made sense of some things, as I continue to work through so much of that, I have learned that disclosure of those things, especially because I do have a bit of a public platform, when I disclose those things, it totally isolates an entire part of the spectrum. And I need people to feel safe um, in therapy with me. So I actually don't disclose. So so let me me put that into some amazing uh, i i feel the same way i have not voted since i was 20 for the same reason mm-hmm. because i was a part of a lot of social groups that how i voted would either say you're in or you're out and so uh-huh. i was like screw it then i won't vote you tell mm-hmm. me what you think and there's no consequence mm-hmm. but what you're saying is actually huge and i'm thinking of people who are silas's nate People who yeah, are working yeah. with other people who feel like they need, they need, they have a, an obligation to give their epiphanies to another person mm-hmm. for it to be effective. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and as often as not, our epiphanies, that's not their epiphanies. They need to come to their own epiphanies. Right. And our epiphanies can be a, a big roadblock. Totally. Now, sometimes they need to walk through it if it's a very if it's a personal relationship, they mm-hmm. need to know we're invested in being honest in our own journey. But it's not its not an either or. And right. there are certain times where I need to say no mm-hmm. to that. You need to do your own work on this. Mm-hmm. Because honestly, as much as you're protecting them, some people probably come to you hoping to hear your story so it tells them what to, what do. to do. And yes. fuck that too. Right. That's yeah, not I- the path. Yeah, I live with a lot of pressure in therapy of feeling like, you know, people are suffering and they just want to feel better. And if I could just tell them what to do, if I could just tell Mm -hmm. them how to respond, or if I could just tell them if they need to leave their marriage, if I could just tell them how, you know, they need to have a relationship with their very indoctrinated mother, um, then, you know, things would feel better for them. And that's not true. Um, and that's not helpful and it's not therapeutic. And so, I, you know, we have to live in that tension. And I, I say that a lot in therapy. I can feel the pull 
um, from you to just provide some sort of answer because I think it would temporarily make you feel better. It would make your anxiety kind of go away for a second, but then it would come back because how do you know that I'm telling you the right thing to do? <laughs> how do yeah. you know it's right mm-hmm. for you? Right. You, so it'll well, be back in you, you just become the church you grew up in at totally. that point. Totally. Nate, I want to know, I'm thinking of your book and how you lived in a world like Quincy mm-hmm. and you wrote about masks you had to create. Right, yeah. So that you could function within those worlds. Sure, sure. And it was also very much uh, a denial of or a suppression of emotion, emotion highly suspect. Um, and now, you know, I'm still on the healing journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, being invited into, you know, uh, <laughs> allowing my limbic system to function consciously, uh, yeah. to, to feel the full range of emotion. I, here's what my experience is. I'm being invited into and am day by day stepping into a larger life, mm-hmm. a more abundant life than the one I was trained in. Mm-hmm. It really is a much mm-hmm. larger life. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that isn't always uh, being filtered and second-guessed and censored, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When people come into therapy, I oftentimes have to paint a picture for them in the way that you're painting a picture for us that on the other side of this, no matter how your faith shakes out, life should feel grander. Uh, more Mm -hmm. at peace. It should feel a little bit more settled and also full of adventure. You should feel generally safe within your body, your relationships, and your environment. Um, That's Mm. what we're working for. And so sometimes I have to walk them through, can you imagine what it would be like to not lay in bed at night and ruminate? That would mean that you're starting to feel safe within yourself right? That's our goal. Can you imagine how many hours you would get back? Can you imagine what sleep would feel like? Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. I'm having to paint that picture because when someone is in an environment like this, it's hard for them to know. Their bodies, I think, know and suspect that there's something Mm -hmm. bigger and better out there um, and that there's something not right. But what would they know about that, right? And they'll gaslight themselves and talk themselves out of it. So part of my job is painting that. Yeah. Your your body's suspecting it and thus I mean, you're talking about how many hours you get back, whether mm-hmm. that's in addiction or anxiety. When you start processing through this and finding freedom from it, when you start allowing emotions to be present, how many hours do you get back? My word. You the never exist. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. How do people get to connect with you, know more about you and what you're doing? Uh, I am on Instagram a lot and on TikTok at Dr. Quincy. Um, actually, I just posted something today about the freedom that comes when we work through our religious trauma. So that's apropos uh, that we're talking about that here today. Uh, but I spent a lot of time there. We're kind of building a community um, of people that want to heal from this this stuff and don't quite know where to start. And they think that they're all alone and that other people haven't been through this and so it's been it's been a lovely thing. I'm very proud of us for what we're doing in that space. All right, spell Dr. Quincy on that because D-R- it's not yeah. Okay. D R Q U I N C E E. Dr. Quincy. Yes. Check Fantastic. it out. This is this is good stuff to check out and we shouldn't uh, I I can imagine certain listeners feeling some anxiety 
especially if they have suspected, mm-hmm. oh, this, I don't, I don't feel like I have a place to be honest. I don't feel like I have a place to bring my emotions forward here. I'm afraid if I doubt that doubt means that somehow I'm not a part of this community and maybe God doesn't love me. If you have had any of those feelings during this interview, you're welcome. <laughs> welcome <laughs> to the rest of your life. Yeah. This is okay. And by the way, Jesus was enough for that. If he wasn't enough for that, he certainly wasn't enough for the other bad stuff you did. Come on. Let's just think this through for a minute. Jesus' yeah. blood is enough hmm. for our doubts. And he invites us. He invites us to being perplexed, but not being in despair. It's okay to be perplexed, and it doesn't have to lead to despair. Questions are okay. Amen. All right. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Quincy, thank you so much for taking time with us today. It's been a real honor. It's been a real honor. All right. Listeners, stay with us. We will be back in a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Man, Dr. Quincy, medicine woman. <laughs> I'm sure she's heard that a couple of times. I know. It's not original. I never said uh-huh. I was original. Uh-huh. That's it's, it's heavy stuff because it's not about trying to undermine people's faith. No, it's not. No, it's not. Uh and I think, you know, we've done 300 shows. I think this may be the first one we've ever done on religious trauma. Uh, do you remember any others we've done? Do you have anything on spiritual abuse? But it's a, I it's don't, a freak- I don't remember my children's names. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and it hasn't been that you know, we've been uh, avoiding the topic because Lord knows uh, we have uh, uh, an awful lot of traumatized folks out there. Well, we here's here's what I remember. I remember us doing uh, a podcast with Mike McCarg, Science Mike. Oh yeah, uh, about uh, what was the oh the bias towards certainty we were talking certainty, about, right? Certainty, yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. Which is very similar. Which is that fear that we have that if if I'm not certain, if I have questions, does that make me less than? Is God right putting me on probation? because I'm not certain. And this is this is common to all of us. If honestly, if someone has never experienced a season of uncertainty, that scares me as to what kind of situation they're in. I I was in the best situation, family-wise, getting into mm-hmm. ministry, all that, but if someone's never faced uncertainty, that's scary. We should yeah. feel those seasons so that we can grapple and we can wrestle with God through that. And he's not afraid of that. It's okay. Mm-hmm. We're invited into that. Right. Yeah. And I think the other piece of the story that Quincy was hinting at was uh, this kind of tribal thinking 
that uh, we Christians can adopt, where, you know, we're part of, <laughs> you know, I said, you know, I, you know, I grew up in a church where we were, we were not part of the army of God. We were the Marines. I mean, we were the elite special forces, right? Yeah. And we had, we had, we had insight that other people didn't have. We had the inside track. We were the five-star guys. We had all the answers. Uh, and that's very off-putting. Uh, it, it, um, I, I really didn't know how to interact with, let's say, my classmates at school without trying to evangelize them. Uh, mm-hmm. And I carried this. Uh, I, I carried this sense that. I had all the answers and I knew, I don't, I just think that I, even without saying anything, I think I was very condescending toward people who were outside of my very small group. Well, condescending, but worse than that, you built yourself a structure that if you had a question and needed to take a step, a a couple steps back, Mm -hmm. that it would then rock the foundation of the image that you had built. Right. Yeah. That's the worst. I'm beyond, yeah. I mean, I get you're being, you know, confessional towards people you're an asshole to, but right. you, it entrenched you in a place where you couldn't back out and ask questions. So, right. Sure. Like we, we recently, uh, spent a number of weeks at an Eastern Orthodox church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had never been to an Eastern Orthodox church and for yeah. a kid that grew up in a brethren church. That was weird. It's a little bit different. Yeah. It's a little bit different. So, yeah. but uh, there were, I went the first week and there were all kinds of questions that I had. One of mm-hmm. which that I felt really uncomfortable was all the prayers to the saints. There's icons mm-hmm. to all these saints, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I was like, this feels very Catholic. I grew up in an anti-Catholic church. Uh-huh. I don't feel comfortable with this. Do you know what the simple answer to that was? Maybe you do because you're super smart. You've had these conversations. The the sim- I don't have the answer. Okay. What the, is the answer? The simple answer that was given was, "Hey, if you've got something going on in your life and you had a friend named Bob, would you ask Bob to pray for you?" Okay. <laughs> it was like, "Well, yeah, of course. Bob can pray for me." And they're like, "Okay. Do you believe when you die that you're still alive?" that life doesn't end with death. Well, like, yeah. Yeah. And they're like, okay. So there's all these awesome people that did amazing things and were so faithful to Jesus, even unto death throughout history. Why is it wrong for me to say, Hey, I'm going through a hard thing. Will you pray for me? Mm-hmm. I had no mm-hmm. answer to that, but uh-huh. I have yeah. to say that that explanation was far less weird than the pictures on the wall of Satan, uh-huh. right? Right, yeah, yeah. Right, but it, yeah. it goes back to, if I entrench myself in a place, I can't hear a person say that, where I'm like, okay, I'm still not going to be praying to saints. I don't think I ever will. That'll probably always be a bit weird to me. But that's because mm-hmm. I'm old, and I haven't done that in my life. However, they explained why, and I have no reason to say, you're a freak. Mm-hmm. But man, when we entrench ourselves and say, here's who we're against, here's our group, here's how we talk, here's what we're against, we close ourselves off from the rest of the body of Christ. 
Mm-hmm. We, we enclose ourselves off of the things that maybe God's like, hey, you want to come experience something new? And I think of Jesus and where he took his disciples. He took mm-hmm. them to freaky places that no Jewish parents would ever oh, yeah, want yeah, yeah. their kids yeah. to go. So yeah. I'm, I'm basically saying like, Jesus, I don't want to be your disciple. You're very disruptive. Could I yeah. have one of the Pharisees that you just rebuked? I could do them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, that makes yeah. my heart sad that I grew up in a way that trained me to say, give me the Pharisee, don't give me Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is going to give me uh, 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 a lot more to think about. This has given me, actually, I really appreciated this conversation, uh, partly because it uh, helps to uh, verify, substantiate some of what I've been feeling and thinking, giving me a little more vocabulary. Uh, and I really, I'm in pursuit of the abundant life. I want to be more open and more present to more people. And, uh, and, and I think confronting my own religious trauma, the, the trauma that I've experienced and the ways in which I have traumatized others who've looked to me, uh, as an authority in years past. Yeah. Uh, I think this is going to be helpful. That's, that's a hard one, but it's important. Yeah. 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 Well, geez, if you want to write to us and tell us why, you know, Eastern Orthodox is bad, go ahead, send it to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Whatever. Whatever. (laughs) And we will listen to it with an open heart and an open mind. I'm open. I'm open. I have an open mind. (laughs) All right. Yeah, write to us at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. All right. Well, we have a, a full slate of great guests coming up. We've been very, very busy here in Podcast Central. So uh, until next time, then, we, we need to wrap this one so that we can start the next one. Until next time, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are your pals. I'm open. On the Pirate Monk Podcast. I'm open. <laughs> The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com. <laughs>